0: Let us continue together our series on Luke's Gospel. We are in the 11th chapter, looking at Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which took place in a different place, locale, and time than where it is found in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus taught these things many times, we can believe and assume, and that was certainly the case with the Lord's Prayer. Now, we have looked at the glorious introduction, Our Father Who Art in Heaven, and last week we looked at that very probing first petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name, and we look at the second petition this morning. I have already told you why I'm reading the Lord's Prayer in the authorized version in Luke 11. For textual reasons, but if anyone has questions about that, I would be happy to elucidate uh, further. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we now would submit our hearts and consciences to the Word, to your sovereign Word spoken to us by divine inspiration that is without error in the whole and in the part. We cannot be God-centered in the second place. You must be first in all things. We are here this morning because you have said to us, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. We are here this morning because thou art worthy of greater praise than we are able to give. But we are also here to meet you in Holy Scripture, to hear Christ himself speak his word to us, because when the word is truly preached, Christ is ultimately the preacher Opening hearts, judging motives, sifting consciences, showing us the purity of your law, but ultimately showing us himself as the redeemer of his people. And we ask that this morning we, your people, will meet with our Savior, the risen Christ, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And also ask that those who are here this morning who are strangers to grace, who do not know you, would find their hearts strangely opened by the sovereignty of God, granted saving faith, so that they may embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. And as we turn to this petition this morning, we ask that it may penetrate our hearts, instruct our minds, and help us to have new affections so that we never come and simply hear, walk away, and think no more, but that we will continually apply these truths to our hearts and to our lives, that the cumulative effect may be that you are granting persevering grace to your people whom you have promised to preserve in Christ Jesus our Lord who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And these things we pray before opening your word in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you now stand for the reading of God's word? Chapter 11 of Luke, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, as we are challenged by this prayer to pray... I wonder if perhaps we would pray more and with greater passion and energy if we realize that this is the chief place in which our individual souls can do battle with Satan's kingdom. Do we realize that on our knees is the place where we can do battle for the kingdom of God and against the kingdom of Satan? And these petitions relate to one another. One follows another like a descending brook. If we desire to hallow God's name, as we saw last week, then we cannot be satisfied with anything than that the world hallow his name. That is our great desire. And to pray this is to pray for the coming of the kingdom of God and to pray against the kingdom of darkness. I think that all of these petitions are very, very probing, and they can be very hard for us in many ways, and this one included. It presents a challenge. It probes our hearts it calls for us to pray personally. It calls for us to pray locally. It calls for us to pray globally. And may God enable us to so pray, having heard this exposition this morning. And so if the petition is, thy kingdom come, that's the petition this morning, then we first of all need to understand what the kingdom is, don't we? And so let's make that first. What is the kingdom? Well, remember that from the beginning, man, male and female, were to fulfill the kingly role that God had given to Adam and to Eve, God's image bearers. They were to have dominion over God's created order. But then we move from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 3, and we find that Adam fell, and all of the human race fell in him and with him in his first transgression. And we have become, by nature, because of hereditary depravity, because of what we call original sin, the corruption of our nature due to Adam's fall, we have become members of Satan's kingdom and we have become submissive to a different king rather than our creator God. But the Lord rules and he reigns and the kingdom means that he rules over all things and all men and women and children, everything that he has created, God's governance over the world and all things is insisted upon throughout the Old Testament and into the new. Psalm 95 verse 3, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty or his kingdom rules over all. Jeremiah ten ten But the Lord is the true God, He is the living the eternal King. The living God, the eternal King. He governs nature, He governs man, He governs His will and His actions. Proverbs sixteen four tells us the Lord has created all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. In Daniel 4, we are told that this God is such a king that he doeth what he will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, "'What doest thou?' And so man, the creature, can no more successfully resist God than the clay can successfully resist the potter. His sovereignty silences us. God does not sit upon the throne wringing his hands in despair." which I often heard God presented that way in churches in which I grew up, His sovereignty is over all. He is the holy God. He is the king. God is God. And how we need this high view of who God is and His character to pervasively determine how we live life in all of the conflicts and struggles of our lives. This is totally contrary to the popular view of God, even in much of the professing church today, but it is true. Our God is king. He rules. He reigns. He is absolutely sovereign. Now, a more specialized meaning of the kingdom is understood as the Bible progresses. It is not so much an emphasis when we come to the Gospels. It's not so much an emphasis about the realm as it is an emphasis on God's saving rule. The emphasis is on God's rule through Christ for the salvation of his people. It is a kingdom of grace in which Christ rules through his word and spirit. His kingly rule is set up in the hearts of sinners. Has the kingdom entered your heart? Have you entered the kingdom by the new birth? Have you believed in Jesus the King, for your salvation? Do you now participate in grace militant that leads to grace triumphant? But as we come to the Gospels and to the epistles, we also find that the kingdom of God is present as well as coming. Jesus says in Luke 11, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, the coming of Jesus is the coming of the kingdom, and it is already a present reality, but it is also not yet. It is coming, and it is future. And this informs us on the deepest level as we pray this prayer, thy kingdom come. We see a world at war with righteousness, and the godly heart cries out, how long, how long, Lord? Will your name be trounced in this world? How long will you allow and permit men to be rebellious against you? How long will your church be persecuted in the world? How long? And the kingdom of Antichrist and the kingdom of Christ are in conflict, and the Lord comes to us saying, When you pray, you pray to a Father who is in heaven, He's a King. And you pray with God's glory uppermost and you pray with assurance and certainty that in the knowledge that God's kingdom will prevail, you get upon your knees and you pour out your prayers and you pray for the consummation of God's kingdom, his total destruction of Antichrist, total destruction of the demonic powers. And with the unshakable trust, Lord, complete this work of building your kingdom On the ruins of Satan's kingdom. Now, that's what this petition, Thy kingdom come, is inspiring us to do. And this is the attitude with which we should be on our knees before the Lord. So, that's what we mean by kingdom. He rules, He reigns, He's sovereign, He has established His throne in the heavens. There is nothing in this world that is not under his sovereign purview, but also he has established his gracious reign in the hearts of his people, and he has promised that he will grow, expand, and lead this kingdom all the way to consummation. Thy kingdom come. That's what we mean by kingdom. So the next question should be, the second point, for what do we pray when we pray thy kingdom come? May we be more specific? Well, yes, we can. We pray several things when we pray thy kingdom come. Uh, First of all, we are praying for conflict and peace. Both, you say? Well, yes. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That verse, among other things, teaches us that history is the conflict between Christ and Antichrist between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between God's truth and Satan's lie, And so the whole of history is a conflict. It is a conflict between impiety, slavery, darkness, ignorance, pollution, and misery on the one hand, and holiness, freedom, light, truth, cleanness, and hope on the other. It is a conflict that has sent many a Christian to the flames or into the arena. That means that, young people, you might be ostracized for your faith by your peers, for upholding the kingdom of God, uh, for acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this morning, morning, uh, Bob Macy, as he was teaching on the martyrdom of, of Polycarp and Perpetua in the early church, Something that came to my mind was this. Uh, Pastor McDonald and uh, our intern Adam, Adam McNeil and a couple of our elders spent yesterday in a presbytery meeting. One of the presbyters made the comment that on this particular issue that sometimes comes up, he confessed, you know, sometimes I've not said what I should for fear of what my brothers around me should think. Now, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in a place in which we feel the pressure of our peers, and perhaps we do not speak our minds. But brothers and sisters, if we do not learn to speak our consciences for the cause of God and truth and for his sake among our Christian brothers and sisters, and especially leaders in the church, however will we be prepared when those greater things come for which we must give an account and when we must stand for Christ? When it might bring persecution, or in many of our cases, if not death, at least a situation that might be uncomfortable for us. So you see, those little things are not so little, young people. Those things about which you take a stand for Christ gently, graciously, lovingly, now, are the things that, as you are obedient, will prepare your mind and your heart to take a stand for Christ when that really big thing comes, that really large issue You have to face. And there are business people here that might give up gain for the Savior because the kingdom of God is comprehensive. Uh, Believers will struggle over temptation within our breasts. We are praying for conflict and we are praying for peace. We are praying for both of these things. How do we expect, you know, we just want to get on in this world. How do we expect just to get on when our Savior didn't get on? Is the servant greater than his master? So we pray for conflict, but we also pray for peace because the world is a battleground between truth and error, a battleground between two kingdoms. But those in the kingdom of light are at peace with God and those in darkness have no peace with God. I really mean that. God's word says it. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. If you don't know Christ, you have no real genuine peace. No peace with God and ultimately no peace within your own hearts, no matter how you may attempt to cloak it. So we have the cross and reconciliation that comes with it. We have the blood of Jesus Christ through whom we have peace with God. And you belong to one kingdom or the other, either to the kingdom of peace, the kingdom in which you are reconciled to God, or the kingdom in which you have no peace and you do not have reconciliation with God. You do belong to one or the other. So we're praying for conflict and peace, but what else are we praying for? Well, we're praying for the growth of God's saving reign in our own hearts as Christians. We are now members of Christ's kingdom by faith in him, but we pray, thy kingdom come, by which I mean, Lord, let that kingdom rule more and more in my heart. Uh, The flag of his kingdom has been planted in the soil of your hearts. He calls now for Wholehearted allegiance on your part and mine. We are to seek his will, his way, and promptly to obey him. And this calls for daily faith, daily repentance, and the pursuit of holiness on the part of every genuine believer in Christ. It calls for an unconditional commitment to Christ that is both public and private. And I would suspect that every genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is here today, which I think is, by the grace of God, most of us, that one thing for which you're constantly praying is, Lord, help my inside and my outside to correspond. I want Christ to be seen in my actions outside. Help my heart and my actions what people see on the outside and help the inside to more and more correspond. Augustine, the great Augustine, said, I have loved thee too little. And what Christian cannot say that? Yes, but can we also say there is nothing I want more than to love you better and to respond to your love to me with more love in return? Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said hypocrites would have Christ as Savior but they pluck the government from his shoulders and will not have him rule. That means there are those who want to claim Christ as Savior, but they don't want him to be Lord of their lives. They don't want him to rule and to reign over the minutiae, over their thought life, over what they watch, over their activities. Yes, I want Christ as my Savior, but I don't want him as Lord. But you cannot have Christ as Savior and not have him as your Lord you cannot receive a divided Christ. When you receive Christ, you receive the whole Christ. You cannot say, I will receive him as my priest, but I reject him as my prophet and my king. When you receive Christ, you receive him as your prophet, priest, and king. And so one thing for which we are praying as believers when we struggle genuinely with temptation and sin is, Lord, more and more let your kingdom rule and reign and dominate my heart, my thoughts, my affections, my actions, my attitudes. Is that true of you? And then we also pray for something else when we pray this prayer, thy kingdom come. We are praying for missions when we pray this prayer. We are praying that the cross of Jesus Christ be planted in Islamic countries, that the church be planted in Iran and Saudi Arabia, that Turkey acknowledge Christ, that our country acknowledge Christ, that Hindus forsake their idols and fall down before Jesus. We are praying for the spread of the gospel throughout the world when we pray, thy kingdom come. We are praying that nations rise and fall at his command. That the Lord set up one and pulled down another. That he direct history so that the good news of Jesus spreads in this world. We are praying that God will rule this world so as to extend the name of Jesus and the aroma of the gospel. And in praying thy kingdom come, we are praying that the kingdom that has come in Christ will become a great mountain in the world, as Daniel puts it that since all authority in heaven and on earth is in Christ's hands, that all things will serve his purpose in the Great Commission. Uh, we are in this petition recognizing that Christ is a writer bent on conquest. And we are praying that the preaching of the gospel will be blessed with the effectual power of the Holy Spirit in converting the lost and in the church's discipleship. We are praying, Matthew twenty four fourteen, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations. We are praying that God's elect will be from the four corners of the earth drawn in to the Lord's kingdom, that truth be taught and believed, that light disseminate, that error dissipate, that places in the world that have no faithful churches will see churches planted. The true preaching of the gospel should be the sound of battle in our ears, Uh, the upholding before us of the conquest of Christ in this world through his gospel, the upholding before men of the crown rights of Jesus, so that we come to men and lovingly and graciously say, lay down the weapons of your warfare and bend the knee before him and acknowledge his crown rights over your life. We are praying for Scripture to be translated uh, into various languages where people groups around the world have no copy of the Word of God. Did you know that your session back in September sent to our presbytery an overture asking that our presbytery adopt a translator to translate the Bible into the language of a people group that has no copy of God's Word, just as our deacon Waller Tab does in his work. Did you know that further, we sent it from the presbytery to the general assembly of our denomination, asking that the denomination, that the assembly, send the request to every presbytery in the PCA to do the same? Will you pray for that? Because when you pray, thy kingdom come, and you pray for that, you are praying for the extension of the kingdom of Christ. But there's something else for which we pray as we unpack this petition, thy kingdom come. We are praying not only for conflict and peace and the other things we have mentioned, but we are praying for the return of Christ at the end of history. Uh, we are praying, thy kingdom come, and to pray that is to pray also, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are praying that Christ will return with a shout, uh, that the just and the unjust will be raised, that every human being stand before Christ on the day of judgment, uh, that the saints be publicly vindicated, that the wicked be cast into the lake of fire, that, that we shout Alleluia when Satan is cast into the pit. We are praying that the time hasten when there will be no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, and that God, the blessed Lord of our lives, no longer be derided, but exalted in the eyes of the whole creation. We are praying that since Christ must reign until he has put all things under his feet and all his enemies under his feet, that we will see him dazzle more brilliantly than the sun in the splendor of his sacred victory. We're praying for that when we pray, Thy kingdom come. Now, our Westminster Larger Catechism in question 191 uh, gives to us an answer to the question, what are we praying for in the second petition? Thy kingdom come. What are we praying for? Listen to this summary in our Westminster Larger Catechism. Isn't this powerful? In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. The gospel propagated throughout the world. The Jews called. The fullness of the Gentiles brought in. Uh, The church "...furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrate, that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed and made effectual to the converting of those that are yet in their sins, and the confirming, comforting, and building up of those that are already converted, that Christ would rule in our hearts here, and hasten the time of his second coming." and are reigning with him forever, and that he would be pleased so to exercise the kingdom of his power in all the world, as may best conduce to these ends. I find that incredibly powerful to my soul. So, that's what kingdom means. These things are those things for which we pray when we pray thy kingdom come. As you saw from the catechism, we could have preached many, many sermons unpacking the meaning of thy kingdom come. But let's go to the next and final point, and that is how do we use all of this? How do we use all of this? Many, many things to say. I hope that you will go home and think about ways in which you can make use of of this sermon and these truths. But let me give you two or three things. Uh, first of all, I just ask the question, are we praying, am I praying, are you praying intelligently and passionately? Yes, am I praying with a mind that is filled with an understanding of these things, but also the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? God wants to see our soul in our prayer lives. There should be heart behind our prayers. So is this not praying also when we pray thy kingdom come, that God's name be hallowed, that God's name be exalted in our lives, in everything in our lives, and in all things in this world? Uh, That this passion for God's glory fill our hearts? Are we not praying for that? And so are we praying for light to shine, uh, for the church to be extended, for error to be vanquished, for Jews and Gentiles to be converted. Are we praying that God raise up called and capable preachers of his word, that he send forth laborers into his harvest, that the proclamation of the gospel be genuinely fruitful in our midst, in my life, and in the world? That institutions of learning be gospel centered, that God would give good government that provides an atmosphere for the preaching of the gospel. Yes, we pray for that too. Isaiah 49 23, and kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. So, are we praying intelligently and passionately for these things? Do we even sit here this morning unmoved? <laughs> Do we understand the call of God upon us when we pray this petition, thy kingdom come? But also, are we praying, I mean from the heart, are we really praying, thy kingdom come? Not my kingdom, thy kingdom, God's kingdom. Whose kingdom do we really want to see built? We're all sinners saved by grace, but we're sinners, and the tendency is to want to build our own kingdoms. It takes, it takes time on your knees asking the Lord to sift your heart to get your kingdom out and to promote his kingdom in your life. And so this kingdom has the Lord Jesus as king. Psalm 2.6, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, and to him we have sworn allegiance as believers in Jesus. One of the old theologians, whose name was Abrako, Dutch theologian, made this comment. Unite yourself to this kingdom. Cherish this kingdom. Let both the well-being and the degenerate condition of the church be a matter of great concern to you. Pray and work for his kingdom. Pray for ministers who must preach in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, Pray for elders who must not only pray but actively pursue the flock and rebuke the disorderly and instruct the ignorant and visit the sick. Pray for church members that we must learn to pray by being examples to others and seeking peace and pursuing it on our knees. And when we get up from our knees and showing love in the body, by being our brother's keeper, by instructing and exhorting and comforting. So let us not pray the Lord's Prayer and lie about it. Thy kingdom come, when really what I want is my kingdom to come. Because remember, people of God, you cannot take the world into eternity with you. We're going to die unless Jesus comes first. And we will not take eternity into eternity, our own kingdom. But you will take God's kingdom that grips your heart and saves your soul. You cannot take the world into eternity with you. You cannot take your kingdom into the grave. But Christ, you can take into the grave. And you can take out of it again in the promise of his resurrection. Because as I prayed in the beginning when we were about to read Scripture, people of God, I cannot be God centered in the second place. Alright? You cannot be God centered in the second place. If you're God centered, then He has first place. That's the longing of your heart. That's what you're praying. By kingdom come within my own heart and soul. But I'm sure there are some here today, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the lovely Savior of sinners. And I say to you, there is no safety without this king, king and without his kingdom. We mock God by taking this petition to our lips vainly. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul basically says to us, You are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of God's own dear son. God's people have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son. You are either in this kingdom or that kingdom, in Satan's kingdom or Christ's kingdom. You cannot be in both, nor can you straddle the fence. You're in one kingdom or the other. Way, way back in our Scottish Presbyterian ancestry, because no matter what your background may be, uh, we all are indebted to these spiritual forefathers, especially there. And there was a man whose name was John Welch. Now, this was a time in which there was the restoration of Charles II, who was attempting to build his own kingdom at the expense of Christ's kingdom. And he was severely persecuting the Covenanters, the Scottish Presbyterians. They were fined, their, their homes were ruined, uh, they were, they were uh, hung, they were beheaded. Uh, it's a time in Scotland called the Killing Times. Uh, and some of the great Scottish theologians were ministering during that time in Scottish Presbyterian history. They were martyrs, both men and women. Uh, Men like Hugh McHale, women like Margaret Wilson uh, that died for their faith. But one of the ministers, and they ministered at risk of their own lives, his name was John Welch, was the great-great-grandson of John Knox. And John Welch was being pursued by the authorities for the crime of preaching the gospel. And he was exhausted, and so he knocked on a, a door and was shown Scottish hospitality for the night. When he went in, the gentleman uh, took John Welch, put him by the fire, gave him some food, but then he began to say, you know, we're after that John Welch. He didn't know John Welch was the person to whom he was speaking. We're after that rebel, John Welch. Oh, I wish I could lay my hands on John Welch, that rebel. And John Welch said, you know, I am sent here to apprehend rebels, and I know where John Welch is going to be preaching tomorrow, and if you'll come with me, I will put his hand in yours, and you can take him wherever you want. And so he went with him, and there was this great coventicle, this great gathering out of doors because the Scottish... Ministers were not allowed to preach in the churches, and the people could not enter their churches to worship God, so they gathered at the risk of their own lives in open air. And John Welch brought this man through, this man who told him, I I can put John Welch's hand in yours. And so he began to preach to this man's surprise. It was John Welch preaching, and the Holy Spirit blessed powerfully uh, that, uh, that sermon and afterward, he came to this man who wanted to capture that rebel, John Welch. And he put his hand in his and he said, Now I've done what I've said. I put John Welch's hand in yours. You can take him wherever you will. And the man said something like this I came to apprehend that rebel, John Welch. But this rebel has been apprehended by the gospel. May God in every service in this church apprehend some rebel, rebel from God's kingdom. May he apprehend some rebel, and may he make of that person a loving, submissive subject of his kingdom. That is that for which we pray when we pray, thy kingdom come. And God's people said, Amen.